Bartok, a void of liberated femininity. To another episode of High Level Casting. My name is Holly and I am here with Doug. I'm Doug. Jeremy. What happened? And Ethan. I could tell you exactly what happened. <laughs> Magic happened. And we are here to squeeze blood from the stone that is Bartok the Magnificent. A land of mystery. A kingdom in peril. And to save the day, an albino bat? Yeah, well, appearances can be deceiving. Please, Holly, explain yourself <laughs> right off the bat. What did we do wrong? I'm, I'm always curious this. about the choices that people make in suggesting movies for us to watch. So please take this time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, this is one of those things that I remembered fondly for what appears to be reasons that are absent. There aren't, there's no, all the things that I remembered were in fact bad. Uh, unfortunately for me, they just weren't very good. So I don't know, the thing that it, that existed in my mind was just like this really joyful, well-animated film that included some excellent music and some funny jokes, and a character that I felt was really emotionally compelling, and also a scene with some explosive dragon titties. And unfortunately, only one of those things is present in this movie upon rewatching it. So yeah, I, I, I didn't realize that, that it would be like that until I watched it for this podcast, and suddenly it all came flooding back to me that it turns out that when I was like eight, I was not a discerning film consumer. <laughs> and I have unfortunately wrought this violence uh, upon these, my compatriots of podcasting. So I'm sorry, but I'm not really because I offered to abstain from this after I watched it and realized how horrible it was. And you all agreed to do it anyway. So hey, there you go. I take Aaron. only 25 to 50% responsibility for the emotional the these two assholes started going off, I knew that we could squeeze blood from the stone. I'm just saying. We are nothing if not stubborn. <laughs> it's 67 minutes long. <laughs> 68 minutes long. One minute short of the classic 69. Yeah. Oh my God. Nice. One minute short of nice. Oh, okay. Short of nice. Because but, it was not nice. It's not nice at all. No. no, it's not. But you know what? Life is nothing if not violence. Okay, Holly, I have an honest question. How many times have you watched this movie? Numerous I, times as a child. Many, many times as a single digit aged person. Not need- since then, though. Certainly not since I have moved out of my parents' house. I have a similar experience, and this is why I cannot talk about this movie without losing myself completely. I have never seen the original Anastasia. I don't think I've seen it. If I have seen it, I've forgotten. (laughs) It's actually a pretty good movie. I had a clamshell, vinyl-smelling VHS copy of Bartok the Magnificent that was consumed by my VCR player because it was on repeat in my house for (laughs) I don't know how long. Everybody has one movie like that, yeah. And so I remember when Holly suggested Bartok, I was like, oh, I remember that movie because I remember parts of the song and, and things like that. I press play on this movie, and it is like reliving... A, a repressed nightmare, like a repressed memory, like some traumatic experience, like a half second before something happens in the movie. I'm like, Oh God, I know what's going to happen. He's going to lift the weight and it's empty on the other side. Right. And it's with dread, not with excitement. You're filled with this, this dreadful with, sense of yes. I've been here before and it was bad then. And it's bad now. It's a very twin peaks experience. <laughs> I feel like I am in the lodge. You're in the black lodge then, right now. <laughs> 
And then Bartok says things that I still say sometimes at 30 years old. And then I realize <laughs> how much of my life is Bartok the Magnificent. 1999, the thrilling spinoff prequel to Anastasia. I think that's direct the real. Direct to TV, direct yeah. to VHS. I think that's the real, like, Thank God. Know, like nugget of this is the, is Ethan's spiritual awakening from this film. Not <laughs> the only thing that was awakened. I'm having uh, an existential nightmare right now. (laughs) Who am I? Who are any of us, if not little creatures to be collected and put in Baba Yaga's chicken hut? I don't know. (laughs) Why is Jennifer Tilly in this film? Why is she in this film? All I could hear was her voice from Liar Liar. (laughs) Like, that's all I thought about anytime she spoke. I feel like peel off... It's kind of the same character. I'm the victim here. You said it yourself. Now I'm going to hit him where it hurts. Oh, no. All I can think about was Jennifer Tilly uh, doing uh, poker tournaments, because that's what she does now. Really? Nice. Seems like a step up. Yeah. Board of Kings. She's apparently really good. And Queens. Okay, so let's just, we'll start here. What was your least favorite part of this movie? Jeremy, I know you have a concrete one, so you can go first. I, I mean, yeah, there was moments where I was like, you know, we were watching this for the podcast, and I was like, as you do whenever you know you're watching a movie for, you know, discussion, you're like, okay, I'm going to remember this, I'm going to remember this. And when Kelsey Grammer started fucking singing, I just stopped <laughs> fucking thinking, and I don't remember the rest of this film. So as you guys talk, it will come back, I swear. Someone mentioned this uh, before, but it's like you could tell this was when he was still in his Frasier period. And so it was just Frasier singing. Somebody needs you, and that's how it starts. Someone believes you'll come through. You're scared, so what? I'll bet you've got a possible hero in you. All the music in this movie was pretty bad. Notably, pretty bad. But I think his character, too, is like basically Frasier if he was a, a anthropomorphized bear who also did Shakespeare. I was disappointed because I wanted him to be like a dumb actor. I wanted his character to be like a dumb actor. Instead, he was like a very pretentious actor, right? Yeah. It's like he's a tragedy and damn it. He's read. Yeah. He's read the romantics. He knows what's up. They weren't written yet in whatever time this movie takes place. What time does this... Let's just iron out what... Because that's another thing that's confusing about this movie is is the timeline. So I feel like it's worth noting that it's a prequel to Anastasia. It was made after Anastasia, but it is a prequel. And the central plot point is that Prince Ivan, a child Tsar, is abducted. It is not clear who... Prince Ivan is based on. Yeah, um, this is not a historical character. Right. There's only not one really. Ivan that was ever a Tsar in this like relative period. And that's a Ivan the Terrible, which they make a <laughs> joke about. Right. Like, proving that it's not, that's not who Ivan I got is. an autographed picture of Ivan the Terrible. So uh, it's after him, but there is none. So this is like existing out of time almost. So if you want to get into your like, real head analysis it has to be after what 1618 well so there there was actually one other ivan and it was right uh the son of ivan the terrible right somewhere in the in the history of our group chat i said something about him being based on a different a different child star whose name i believe was michael i don't know i think they just were like ivan that's a russian name uh, there's Michael of Russia. Is he the like, first Romanov? I think it's, I think he's, uh, was yeah, he a child maybe. on the throne? <laughs> I think, I think he was. Yeah. Okay. First, first Russians are of the house of Romanov. Pretty baby face in this portrait. Damn. And what, good? what year was that? Uh, he was born 1596, died 1645. He was right. Court. Coronated. Is that? I don't that's think I've ever, is that that's the word, right? <laughs> it's it's sorrowized. Yeah. Crowned. That, okay, that makes more sense. I I've I've heard coronation. I just <laughs> don't think I've ever heard the <laughs> but crowned, I think, yeah, that's 
Yeah. We're doing our best yeah, here on high level casting. 1613. 1613. However, like this movie clearly it apes aspects of Russian history and mythology, but takes place in a mythical past. It doesn't like exist, right? Mythic it is more like Russia. This, I, yeah. Well, I just like to live in a universe where this, that doesn't really matter. Like bats live like, and I just Googled this. So that's how I know bats live 20 to 30 years, sometimes 40. So what I'm saying is, is that there's a, probably a portrait of Hank Azaria as Bartok, like growing older in some fucking attic. Well, do we know know this is the same Bartok though? Could this be a uh, now we're getting much, into the, the deep shit? Right? Yeah. Much it's like the Rovanov throne, yeah. Bartok created a series of Bartok, a dynasty of Bartoks. Yeah, and th- they were all terrible, uh, and they all were voiced by Kazarian, <laughs> <Hank Azaria. laughs> doing a bizarre accent. They all come from the same small town in minnesota which is also a catskill comedy club uh it's really quite different mm. i take my show in a whole nother direction yeah. this is not bartok the mediocre this no. is not bartok the hastily slapped together <laughs> by interns to see through the quarterly returns this is Bartok the Magnificent. It wasn't slapped together by interns because it's the only spinoff of a Don Bluth movie that Don Bluth worked on. He, That's he what's so fucking it? bizarre. Yeah, it's like this thing was greenlit it. by him. Yeah, this whole, all this was, this is Don Bluth's baby. This is his idea. And I gotta say, like, the animation in most of it is shit. It's terrible. Like, it's, it looks like a bad movie. You can tell, like, the character animation on Bartok is good. But a lot of the like right. backdrop, whenever there's a crowd of people, it's like three yes. or four. Yeah, people. yeah. Very small. Like, maximum six emptiness. people. Yeah. I remember that. It's, it's rough. The Which weird... makes the scenes where the, where the Ludmilla dragon is like tr- setting the town on fire just like really low stakes. Yeah, it's like a little kid in a, a Lego town that it's he like built. It's like great value in Notre Dame. Like, the one firefighter yeah. villager who keeps uh, coming back like... Yeah, he has one line, and his line is, where's the water? He's, no, he's got, like, three lines. That dude's thirsty. He's but mighty thirsty. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I was getting there. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he's also on first-name basis with Bartok. So one of his That's other right. lines is, Bartok, That's where's right. the water? <laughs> Notably. Right? Well, he, he watched Everyone the just show. knows who he is. Yeah, he right? was, he, I mean, he, he wasn't the show. show. It would have been weirder if Bartok was uh, on first-name basis with the water guy. He subbed to uh, Bartok's Patreon. And so he got the, the... He had a parasocial relationship with Bartok. Parasocial. He had a parasocial relationship with Bartok. Bartok read his name at the end of his video, yeah. and uh, he f- immediately forgot about him. And now he feels like he can demand things of Bartok. And you know what? That's not good boundaries. That's, That's not, not good boundaries. Not. Well, not. you know, you see this a lot in, like, e-girl, you know, like, OnlyFans type yeah. situation, right? You gotta Bartok ma- is an e-girl. That's managing. <laughs> yeah. He's a thought. You gotta manage the expectations. <laughs> Speaking of thirst, I would like to talk about my least favorite part of this movie, which is Ludmilla, the chief antagonist of this film. The movie opens on a sequence that I actually quite like, where it's like a weird little song about Baba Yaga and how she's a scary witch. And this is like the first time I think I've heard of Bob. Like when I watched this movie, this is how I learned about Baba Yaga, the archetypal hag character with her chicken leg house and her mortar and pestle. And it's Which are cool. all like legitimate components of her mythology in Eastern Europe. Those are all right. Like, exactly. Don didn't, didn't make that, that shit the up. Metal, the mortar and pestle. Yeah, the uh, the iron teeth. There's a lot of interesting touches that show that there was some care put into researching Russian and Slavic folklore, especially in this scene. Anyway, turns out Baba Yaga is a complete red herring, and the actual antagonist is a Jafar slash. Yzma ripoff, except I don't think Emperor's New Groove is out yet. Like this weird year later. I just checked one year later. Oh god, Yzma is a ripoff of Ludmilla. Yes. Anyway, like this like weirdly hypersexualized, mischievous woman who also isn't really a character. Like she has no motivation besides like I'm evil and I have spikes on my boobs. 
which as you mentioned, Doug, spike equal evil is a powerful yeah. semiotic indicator in this. Film. Also shoulders and the like flat, the spiked her forehead. Yeah. Yeah. She is reclaiming the phallus as a uh, yeah. signifier of patriarchal rule, consolidating authority. Anyway, I thought she was a shit character, and then she turns into <laughs> fetish bait at the end of the movie <laughs> when she very graphically turns into a drag. <laughs> While singing. She sings a terrible song, While and singing. she does like BDSM activities on prisoners in her oh, dungeon. Yeah. Her backup singers, uh, right, this is the villain song, her backup singers are like pilloried and quartered peasants in the dungeon. All men. Yeah, notably. all men, all men. All just like identical men and she slaps them and steps on them and <laughs> Oh wow. Cranks their and like, you know, whips their chains and cranks their stocks and as as her thighs turn into Yeah, as various as various parts of her body like explode notably right <laughs> on One. screen. Starting today, every rule's guaranteed to be broken. Broken. Starting today, every whisper turns into a shout. The animation is shit, but like, still, this someone was took the, the time <laughs> to animate this. Like that this scene was, there was, was first hours, hours and, so, and hours into the scene. One of the great things we can do now thanks to streaming services is we can go back and see how like these movies instilled degenerate sexual pathologies in a large percentage of the internet. Like I feel like I've seen that dragon transformation before in completely different contexts. There's if you look at this scene on YouTube and you look in the comments, the comments. scene oh, on YouTube, it is we can read some of those abundantly off, for the love of God. Like, abundantly I'm gonna clear. try to find them. Yeah, please do. There, There is a part of me that uh, hopes it, the situation was quite like the story that I heard about uh, the original Dark Souls. There is a uh, character in the game that is an NPC who is a, a giant woman. And she is known for her uh, prodigious bust. And the designer who was tasked with actually designing that character was super proud of his work and he came to the director he showed the director and he was so excited about it and the director at first was like there's no way we can put this in here because this is absurd but he Too saw hard. how excited this animator was and that's the only reason why it made it into the game. So I, I'd uh, like to believe that an animator came up to Don Bluth after having lovingly sketched out this transformation of a, a very angular woman into a... Bodacious. Yes. Dragon. Purple dragon. Yeah. All, right. All right. HD 1080p. So the first video I pulled up on this had the comments disabled. <laughs> there, there, there is a god the top comment worth reading at first was i made a mistake reading the comments <laughs> and then um the next one is don bluth is the horniest cartoonist of all time he's absolutely correct absolutely not just in this movie but in all of his work like there is there's that frog in thumbelina that also mm -hmm. has bolt-ons mm -hmm. There's, God, what are the other Don Bluth movies? He loves him it? some mice ladies, I gotta say. Oh, yeah, Rats uh, of Nim. Yep. How many people entered puberty because of this movie, question mark? I'm trying to think, did, did I read correct, read somewhere that Don Bluth is a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints? In the words of Patrick Starr, you're hot. Is that a response to Doug's question? <laughs> Yes. I, it's a legitimate answer, I think. I'm just going to keep going while you guys are talking and just in, until you tell me to stop. Oh, wow. Yeah, please. Just. You are correct, Doug. Okay. Uh, he was, he at least was in his youth a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormons. The Mormons. The Mormons. 
He did American Tale. Like, yeah, Don Bluth has American Tale, which is a a fine movie. But there are also some like trollopy, right? Mice in that movie also. (laughs) The upload has sixty nine subscribers. Nice. Thank you. You're. I mean, you're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Land Before Time. Even when I was young, it was pretty uh, sexy uh, for a kid's movie. It is. It's not just that she turns into a dragon, right? It's all the aesthetics of it. It's the like internal throat shot of the potion going down, and like oh, yeah. the grotesque and hyper realized way that she transforms piece by piece. The way that she drinks that potion down will be burned into my memory for a good amount of time. And see, if you had that burned into your memory at the age of eight or nine, as opposed to now, you would would be Ethan. You would be in a very different podcast (laughs) talking about, like, fur affinity drama or something. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because one of the notable things about this is that there aren't any characters in this movie who are designed to, like, look nice. Pretty much everyone yeah. in this movie is yeah. like ugly, like intentionally, mm-hmm. forcefully unappealing to look at. Like they're all Bartok as a character has like liver spots on his head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he does. also has these like weird little fingers with like round pads at the end. And it's just it's they're all sort of abhorrent to look at. And so it's fascinating that the Ludmilla character who is off-putting in her humanoid state and also sort of not sexual at all when she's fully transformed into a dragon. Right, when, yeah. Once the transformation scene is over, she's just a dragon and she yeah, there the, no there's like there's no gendering right. of any kind. She's like purple, I guess, because that was her color theme before she transformed. But like there's no like all of her humanoid components are totally gone. But the transformation scene itself is like simultaneously hideous to look at and also even in the very beginning she's drinking this potion that comes in a very small vial so the amount of time that they spend on her drinking it seems incompatible with the size of the the quantity of liquid that she's consuming she like burps in them at the end in a way that's off-putting and then she spends the entire rest of it like strangling rats and stomping on prisoners and it's just it's like so Horrible. It's like sexual. It's inherently sexual. We all can agree that it's intentionally sexual, but it's really horrible to look at from start to finish. Not gonna lie, I counted sixteen fetishes. The uh, last relevant comment. The burp. The burp was for the kids, though. Like, yeah, that's the funny. Kids eat that shit up. Let's get into that, please, because one thing you hear about these children's movies is, oh, you know, it's it's for kids, but. There's stuff in it for the adults, right? There's like, like Toy Story will have a joke that like mom and dad can laugh at. This movie tries to have that, but actually none of the content is for anybody. It's all bad. Ethan. Yes. When is a door not a door? Hold on. When it has lustily transformed into a dragon and, and is conquering Moscow. (laughs) When it has only a tiny scrap of fabric defining its waist <laughs> from the rest of its body. Damn. Horny, though. <laughs> when is a door not a door? When it's a jar. Child's play. So Kelsey Grammer, the bear. Yep. Uh, well, we're talking about, like, corrupt femininity through Ludmilla. And Zozi the bear also establishes, like a broken masculinity or at least through the patriarchal frame of how we view society because we see him as a, a very he's the the fake bear that Bartok fights in his little grifter show but actually Zozi the bear played by Kelsey Grammer he's very erudite he's very committed to the passion of acting and he just makes references to things that no six-year-old has ever heard of and probably the common, <laughs> like the mo- <laughs> most Midwestern moms that have to watch this 39 times, they don't get it either. Talking about how Oedipus blinded himself with his mother's own brooch. This is a quote from Bartok the Magnificent. So what, what like, do you say, like, who is this movie for? It's for Kelsey Grammer. 
It's for nobody. It's for Don Bluth. It's for Don Bluth. Yeah, yeah. And imagine this is, yeah, wow. I'm glad you brought that up, though, Ethan, because that was really, like, the one... I was just desperately grasping at straws to try and figure out, like, what I could say about this movie that would be even remotely intellectual or outside the realm of, like, this was bad and we all had a terrible time. Yeah, just laughing at (laughs) the sexiness of it. But... All that I could really come up with, and like not, I feel like I harp on this in in every episode that I'm in. But just to, I just sort of took stock of the female presenting characters that existed throughout this movie, and I found, and I guess in at the moment of writing these notes, I was surprised by this, and then immediately I was like, well, no, of course not, of course no, not. This is of course very- all of the women in this movie are just. This heteropatriarchal stereotype. Like, why uh-huh. would I be surprised by that? And I guess it was. I'm. I'm surprised that I look on it so fondly, as somebody who generally doesn't appreciate that kind of representation of femininity in media that I consume. But I guess I just like have rose-colored glasses about all the shit movies that I watched as a kid. There aren't very many characters in this movie altogether. The cast is pretty small. Mm-hmm. As we said, the crowds are usually four or five, (laughs) but the number of named characters, pretty short list. So I started with Zosie, Zosie the bear. There is a a notable bit at the end of the movie where he dresses up as what he refers to as a Russian peasant woman, but it's just sort of like a busty Esmeralda style character. Right. It's just like big performativity. I think she's carrying a tambourine, wearing a wig, long Mm -hmm. eyelashes, red lips on, on a bear. I feel like it's notable. A bear with like a big red nose, like Rudolph. Anyway, and, so, and a pencil mustache. Yes. <laughs> yes. All the time. So, Zosie, we have femininity as performance, a man's performance, notably, and also queerness as a punchline or the butt of a joke. We have Ludmilla, who is just monstrous femininity, purely evil, no depth to her character at all, just a desperate grab for power. As you pointed out, Ethan, sort of a a phallic character design, but also a, a very sort of toxically masculine femininity. A, right. a, a woman who desires achievement through the path of patriarchal success and toxic masculinity. So Cersei Lannister, yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I big vibe, especially when he, she's talking to Ivan on the throne. That is a scene that happens in Game of Thrones. Yeah. No, it's true. Definitely. It's it's I mean, and again, it's just it's just another trope just another like evil lady trope as all these things are we've got baba yaga who is a crone a pariah Mm -hmm. hideous lonely and banished just a manipulative old woman which i think is one of the things that they say about her (laughs) out loud it's just yeah there's no subtlety about it baba yaga's role is to be simultaneously sort of an outcast crone woman who exists outside of society and also like a matriarch figure who teaches Bartok how to have empathy, sort of like a magical, I mean, she's a witch, so obviously magical, but just like a woman who exists, whose only purpose is to teach other people lessons and has no agency over herself. We have Pilaf, who is, I I hesitate to refer to her as a female character. She's just sort of like a pink snake with suction cup hands and like a like a cat face? Unclear. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> She's got a jingle bell tail. She's got suction cup hands. I'm sorry. She has like a, an orange mohawk and like a green bow around her. It's, I guess it's not a mohawk. It's sort of like whatever trolls have on top of their hair. Anyway. Yeah, a little f- a fringe. She got the fringe. Uh, Bilof, who, if I had to sort of define, again, very few lines of dialogue, no personality development at all extremely vapid but just sort of an uh, i my notes say captive feminine joy <laughs> but yeah. just an absence of thought who contributes nothing she's just excited that she's excited for you she's a cheerleader but she has no other there's role. no reason Pilaf should have been a like living thing right like it could have been she an could have object. been a bowl of rice Pilaf, and none of us would have known the that's difference. what i thought yeah i will say though if you ever want to go back and watch this movie like I feel like a lot of her lines to Bartok are very like innu- innuendoy, like like double meaning. There's some weird sexualization there, right? This interaction with her is very physical. The the situation yeah. is that she's frozen around. to a boulder, and Bartok has to remove her from the boulder and bring her back to Baba Yaga, and it involves 
the sort of his initial attempt involves stretching her body, which again is just mm-hmm. like a long tube, like a snake, stretching her body around the sort of cavernous, like stalactite environment that she's frozen in. And she seems to find this enjoyable. She mentions I think that it she tickles. Said she's, yeah, she's been waiting for this. I she's think. been waiting for this like, for a long time. It's it's something else. <laughs> It's enough to drive you crazy, isn't it? It's the one character that you can give the opportunity to to show that Bartok isn't gay, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't I guess. make sense for any other female character. Bartok has a girlfriend, and it's a bizarre snake worm. But she's pink, so you know but that she's, she's a lady. It's a lady. She's pink and she talks like a Playboy bunny. So you know that she mm-hmm. is a lady for manly men like Bartok and like Albino Bat, who <laughs> has male pattern baldness. <laughs> and, and conjunctivitis. A true uh, self-insert right there, you know, for most. And then on the last that, oh, female yeah. character that I have on my list is the little girl. So there's... Yes, the waif. They're the waif. There are... Repeatedly throughout this movie, two children. And one of the interesting things that I noted is that her girlishness or her gender is sort of canceled out by the fact that she is almost 100% of the time accompanied by a little boy. Mm -hmm. And they operate as a unit. So it's just like little boy, little girl. So the gender sort of is absent in the sense that they are just children. They just represent kids. But there is a notable bit where they're trying to convince Bartok to go rescue Prince Ivan from Baba Yaga, which is where everybody thinks he is. And the little girl becomes in the scene, isolated from the little boy. And she like pleads with Bartok in her little girl voice to get him to go do what she, to go, you know, save Russia or whatever they think that he's going to do. So that is in that scene alone, I think sort of a, and if we have to sort of think of her as on the list of feminine characters, then she's sort of innocence and girlishness and, and purity and also dependent on a male savior in order to be rescued from mm-hmm. female villainishness, which we don't know until later, but is obvious by the fact that she has spikes on her boobs. Not the little girl, Ludmilla. Anyway, all the female characters in this movie, all shit collectively bad so (laughs) hardly characters at all so if you think about the absence of like women with agency liberated femininity i was i think i was trying to think to myself in the absence of liberated femininity is it also an absence of liberated masculinity and i decided that it is not because masculinity is liberated through the lens of femininity that is Mm. categorized into submission so masculinity the liberation of masculinity is dependent upon the exploitation of femininity through all these various roots through babiaga who exists to teach him lessons through ludmilla who exists to provide him an enemy to fight through the little girl who exists to light the fire under him to go become the best version of himself that he can be through pilaf who exists to you know cheer him on and remind him that he can do it and also zozi who's a man a man a, a bear a man bear. <laughs> a furry. All, all a man bear. Yeah. Oh, no. All for, for Hank Azaria's Bartok to achieve his true greatness. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I would say. Like, if we want to look at, yeah, how is masculinity presented here? And the answer would be, yeah, very, I would say, like, not hegemonic, not like the prescribed hero, right? But... Bartok has the heroic transformation through the movie, even though he has no transformation at all. Like it's not he, earned. Yeah, it's <laughs> no. not earned, and he doesn't do anything. He but, never like, stops being just a con man. Yeah, so that's his power. I will and say some of, his, some of the tasks that he has to accomplish in order to like achieve enlightenment or enter into the next stage of himself depends upon his ability to just sort of like con his way through yeah. various tasks. I will say I kind of appreciate that 
as a fan of of the roguish archetype, I enjoy like a scumbag used car salesman type character who won't shut up and will use his much like Howie in Uncut Gems <laughs> to some extent using like their force of ugly charisma to work their way through a situation. I appreciate that. I wish there was more of that in this movie because that's sort of Bartok's character, right? I just He's like, keep imagining Bartok in fucking Uncut Gems now. It's yeah, right? He gets, he gets several jewels in this movie. He tries to pawn off different things to Baba Yaga. Yeah, he's, he's a Diamond District guy. God damn it, I, he is. I wish there was more of this character who may not have a force of charisma, like Han Solo or whatever, but like just talks enough that eventually people let him do things, right? I don't know. I kind of he was my favorite part of the movie. I actually quite liked like he just doesn't shut the fuck up through the entire movie. <laughs> and sometimes he has some great jokes, like great non-jokes. Yeah, uh like but he what? Doesn't... Can you think of any? Uh yes. So, um the one where they're go the second trial of Hercules. Sorry, I'm going to keep referencing better movies here. <laughs> uh, and Hercules is even one of the greats. <laughs> They're going to the like ogre blacksmith place and he makes like this offhand comment. I'm out here working my wings off and for what? Oh. I tell you, if oh. I get back there and she dumps this crown into her stew, I'm going to have a cow. It was great. I fucking love that. That's like, it's and Zach's mom. It's Zach's mom on the way to Best Buy being like, if they all got <laughs> the right TV stand, I swear to God. It's like, like I don't There's so many little bits of that. I wonder if they even wrote dialogue for Hank Azaria or if he just, like, winged it. I don't think so. I think this was, like, a high improv type thing where they're just like, go for it, buddy. They gave just, him like, the Robin keep Williams talking. treatment, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. They just let him riff, and then they animated to it, which is Right. Uh. But the thing is, you can only do that with Robin Williams, right? right? Yeah. So only the greats. One thing that really struck out to me was that there was no cleverness to how the problems were solved there was a lot of thief in the cobbler style animation quirks right so like getting pilaf out was all an incredible machine like pulley system that doesn't work three or four times and then it kind of works there's no intuition behind it there's no like he doesn't learn anything about what he should be it just he knocks the boulder over using a complex series of ropes that I'm sure Don Bluther, another animator, had a lot of fun picturing in their mind. The second trial is the same. I'd say that's a little clever because at least you see like a sequence of him like flying around the big ogre who I'm going to put in my next D&D campaign. He has, a, <laughs> he has a heat aura and I think that's pretty cool. An um, ogre voiced by French Stewart. Oh my God! That's French Stewart. According, you to can't tell because he just like makes the yeah, gaga noises. He is toxic masculinity. They're making a commentary on what this society does to men. That's not a heat aura. That's that's his masculinity. That's his. That is gorilla mindset. Yeah, the only thing to thwart it is a, a nice cool bath in the river. He, yeah, yeah, he gets cooled down. And then the third one with the feather, again, like, nothing really happens. He realizes I can stack things on top of each other. That's All these trials are this. just about loopholes. It's just about, yeah. where yeah. is the loophole? There's no sort of clever intuition behind it. Like, there's no... The riddles, the riddle joke between the characters and the Tim Curry badass skull is very indicative of this and that right. like if you think of riddles like the hobbit riddles or whatever like riddles are supposed to make you think and are like once you hear the answer it's like oh that's very clever when these are just like bad skeleton puns which i appreciate on one level but <laughs> to clarify not, for those who haven't seen this movie and who don't plan on seeing this movie after everyone has on seen it for it. an hour <laughs> everyone has seen this movie tim curry's character is a giant skull that is also a gate to baba yaga's house and in order to gain access to baba yaga's property you have to answer a bones or skeleton themed riddle 
<laughs> Ready? If a section of fence is 68 feet long and 5 feet wide and the parallel section is the same length but both perpendicular sections are twice as long. What is the key that will open the witch's door? I'm sorry, I lost you there. What was that last part? <laughs> what is the key that will open the witch's door? I thought it was an arithmetic thing. A skeleton key. Except for the last riddle, which is not about bones or skeletons. He just ran and Curry out of just hunts. ran out of riddles. <laughs> but it shows like there is no actual cleverness here. No one actually thought of a novel riddle. They're just like skeleton key. Funny bone. It's very funny. And so in animation, if we want to talk about like the art of animation, right? There's this beautiful concept of being able to animate all of these different things working together towards a certain goal very thief in the cobbler style right like the aesthetics speak for themselves i think and that richard then, williams would be offended that you compared bartok the magnificent to thief in the cobbler. richard williams can get fucked uh, <laughs> richard williams also a horny animator absolutely also let us not forget but anything i'm i'm comparing this to like not even like very good and you know just like standard animation where like all of these things that would be clever and interesting are just rendered in their most banal and vulgar forms baba yaga doing magic stuff is not like clearly sparking of like fantasia or something but it's just a very diet coke form of that like it's a very boring by the book's way of rendering that. And that's what's like disappointing to me about this movie on top of all the other terrible things. But like, even if you want to talk about it as a, an aesthetic piece, it fails on that very simple level too. Do you think you think of it that way because we're also conditioned to think of Disney animation and Disney style as like the pinnacle of Western animation and like Don Bluth's style is just so notably different that it feels like it's lower quality just because the the animation style is so distinctly not Disney or do you think that it's just actually bad I don't think so I it's been a while since I've seen a lot of these Don Bluth movies admittedly um but I feel like they're far more just like better animated in general you know which is fine for a feature length movie compared to a direct-to-video product hike. But just the notion of creativity in how things move around. Like, I believe in Five Goes West, which is not a great movie, uh, but it's also one that I watched over and over again. There's, like, these really cool chase scenes and stuff where all of these things are happening, and the weird big cat character does the wacky things with his eyeballs and stuff. And it's fun to look at. There's nothing really fun to look at in this movie. It's just, like... Everything is ugly, both purposefully so, but not in an interesting way. It's like it's a goblinoid. It's a grimlified animation film. Like it's it's very much like a very goblinoid art. Wait, wait, oh, what was that? You didn't think I could do it. This is this is if don't throw if, your back out with that look, stretch. If if a gremlin from Gremlins 2, the new batch, drank a potion labeled Western Animation, <laughs> yeah, labeled Western Animation, Bartok the Magnificent would come out in a clamshell, weird vinyl-smelling VHS copy. All right, segue. I, I want to know how people, especially for uh, Holly and Ethan, how did you get this movie? <laughs> How did it end up in your household? How do we get anything? I don't, I actually don't know. Um, this is like, did, did your parents get tricked into buying this for you? Or did they buy it at a yard sale for like 50 cents? Rented like, it uh, at the video store, man. Oh, yeah. Rented it from Figs. I don't oh, know. I'm not sure how Bartok the Magnificent came from, came to my life. I'm not sure how it's going to leave from my life. Um, it won't. I don't even know. You're going to be on your deathbed, Ethan, and like your last seconds of living are going to be. No, you're going to watch the whole movie in your brain, and then you're. Yeah, when the when the DMT hits, that's (laughs) when the one last (laughs) one last watch. DMT. Have you watched Bartok Magnificent (laughs) while on DMT? 
I'm waiting for uh, Joe Rogan to ask about that on his podcast. You ever watch Bartok Magnificent? Jamie, pull that up. It may not have even been that I watched it over and over again because I was like nine when it came out. So I was still a kid, but like... You're going bl- to blame this on Tyler, aren't you? I think it might be my <laughs> thin six-year-old brother watching it. I'm not sure, but... Just on repeat. Just wearing out that VHS. I don't know. Yeah, um... It's, it's just like a life. curse that manifests in your house. And the only way to be rid of it is to Make somebody develop else a sexual fetish for dragons. Yeah, you gotta I'm have an outlet. I'm see, clearly that's... not rid of it because I'm still watching this movie. <laughs> well, see, that, yeah, that's later. the cycle we need to break out of, I guess. Um, and this is why we have deviant art. Cool. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, that's it's, it. it's, it's that created it. a lot of very creative individuals that, that do very interesting art. And I say this episode sponsored by DeviantArt. That's a really horny website. It's super horny. It that's like where you go. Furaffinity.net. <laughs> An archive <laughs> of our own. .net. Jesus Christ. Poor Bartok the Magnificent. He's come so far and done so much for the good people of Russia. Okay, wait, what's left? What do we have left? I want to talk about the Disney movies this is like. Okay. okay. We have all of these nostalgic connections to these, to these like children's animated movies. But I think they're really interesting for analysis because if you look at them, it's probably the place where like you see the forces of capitalist production most nakedly. Bartok the Magnificent is very clearly like a fucking product. Anastasia came out. I don't know what year. It was very successful. They realized that they had this character they could sell toys of, and they're like, we need to follow up on this. And it's very clearly following the Disney formula. Uh, Like, this is a time period of the direct-to-video sequel. Right. right? They were definitely trying to to copy off of The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. Uh, if you look at Aladdin 2 and Aladdin 3, they are, like, terribly animated in comparison to Aladdin. Even though I would, they're not good movies, but, like, better than this. But if you look at this movie, you can see all of the good ideas that they're... Like, Disney and Disney's products are very clearly the hegemonic force in right. articulating what an animated movie should look like to the point of, like... We have to have these pieces like Aladdin is so striking in this movie, right? Bartok is very clearly Iago, which is very clearly like the quirky animal character they decided they needed. I think after Aladdin and then every movie has one. Uh, Ludmilla is clearly Jafar, which is interesting because Jafar in the Disney mold is like a queer coded male antagonist, but now this person is a woman, so we have to under like, as we see, it makes weird things happen. I see a lot of Hercules in this movie too, and I really liked Hercules as a kid because it was my introduction to Greek mythology. And here's why I want to make the big distinction between like the difference between Hercules, which is a movie that can like captivate an imagination, and like, oh, I want to learn more about these monsters and this world and these gods and goddesses. And Bartok, which is kind of trying to do that with Russian or Slavic mythology, but failing in every aspect, right? There's no sense of curiosity or interesting things outside of like the introductory framing of Baba Yaga's hut, right? Like that's a cool place. And then we don't give a shit about anything else related to this. Just watch Hercules, guys. It's a better movie. Um, Bobcat Goldthwait is one of the goblins, and he's funny. Acclaimed director, Bobcat Goldthwait. That's right. Anybody got final thoughts? Um, There is no thought after Bartok the Magnificent. All human There is only void. There's only void in Ludmila. It's it's here. That's it. Um, You... This is death. Uh, Doug, thoughts? No. Uh, and Holly. Would any of you show this to your theoretical future children? No. 
I don't want well, to awaken. No, actually, them. no. If they do I'm something let wrong, them do that themselves. If <laughs> <laughs> sit down, motherfucker. You're watching bar talk again. <laughs> Define your own journey. We've had ours. Um, I guess my final thought is when it's a jar. Hey, it's it's the fuck out of here. <laughs> no, that was good. That was pretty good. You it was said not. It Doug, why don't you just give us sort of the the most <laughs> skeleton <laughs> of the plot that you as you wave can. your hand I like while you holding your phone? <laughs> I like that you said skeleton. Uh, so yeah, we uh, we start the movie. Bartok's rolling into Moscow. He's uh, got a nice little grift going where he uh, fights a bear who's actually friends with, voiced by Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> this is going to be a real, real terrible. Good, I love it. That's what I want. Because yeah. I'll be honest, my memory of this movie, despite it goes having right out this as morning, soon as you're done, is it's a lot easier body. than you think. Yeah, just keep going. Um, okay, so the young Tsar is he a prince or is he actually the Tsar at this point? I think they call uh, him Prince Ivan. Do they call him Prince Ivan? Okay. Yeah. So Prince Ivan is uh, watching watching the funny bat do bat stuff and. He disappears at some point. His <laughs> his uh, advisor. Uh, is, we watched it today. I know. Here's the thing. I had it. I had two windows up on my computer at once. Of course you One did. window on the right, which had Amazon Prime playing Bartok the Magnificent. <laughs> And the other one, the other window was probably a PDF of a tabletop role-playing game rulebook. It's, it's fine. It's fine. He has to go and save uh, the disappearing the prince from. No, let Doug do it. I want Doug to do it. All right, yeah, Doug. <laughs> you got to do what it. What did I do, do to it. deserve this? To relive your trauma. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, there is a there is a scheme that is hatched by. The 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 spike queen herself, Ludmilla, uh, who mommy wants, wants to take control of Russia, but she's got to do this. the The only way she can do this is to get Ivan out of the picture, and to do that, she tells uh, a guard named Diedrich Bader to to take care of him. No, voiced by Diedrich Bader. Sorry. I don't remember what the character's name is. Which we don't uh, know yet. None of it. We don't know any of this yet. <laughs> right. Okay. So I, I'm at least remembering details. Just right. Ag- right. Anachronistic. Keep going. Keep going, honey. All right. All right. So, so uh, a prince disappears, and Bartok is tasked with uh, going to uh, the the witch Baba Yaga because supposedly she's she's got the boy. Mommy. So Bartok and his bear companion venture to the Iron Forest? Yes, Iron Forest. Venture to the great, Iron- Doug. This is great. Yeah, this is Thank you so on. much. Venturing to the Iron Forest uh, where there's a lot of iron. Um, <laughs> it's a post-apocalyptic hellscape. There's just ruined buildings everywhere. I'm, I'm not is... unconvinced that it's like non-Euclidean in nature. Too. Yeah, no, this is a Dark Souls world. Like 100%. we are reliving the the ancient myths have broken and the world is dying. Bartok is reliving the ghosts of the past by fighting a bear. By fighting a bear. <laughs> They uh, get to this giant skull voiced by Tim Curry with an inexplicably American accent who uh, will not let them pass unless they solve a riddle, but the riddle is usually uh, bone-related. not a riddle. It's not a riddle. He um, frames it as a math question. Get past the skull. Get to Bobby Yaga. Bobby Yaga's like, I got three tasks for you. Uh, I, know where, I know where the prince is. And so she gives them three tasks. <laughs> the first task 
I I don't remember what the first task is. I remember what Stefan Pilaf in the ice. <laughs> okay, Sorry. I don't remember if that was the first one or not. It's to find the fucking snake. I think the order is not relevant. Okay, it's, so one of the tasks is to find a, a, the worst a character in this movie. by Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> It could have been a flute. It could have been a magic flute. It could have been, but it wasn't. Instead, it was a strange. It was Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, it was a strange snake creature. It was a jingle bell snake. Yeah. A jingle, a jingle rattler, if you will. <laughs> a jingle rattler. <laughs> the worst. Uh, the second task. The, this was the second task uh, to get this one's cool. Get the crown off the head of the blacksmith ogre radiating heat or masculinity mm. it could be either. masculine heat uh they they get that helmet off his head vibing and leave him in the the bed of a river after it is uh, instantly evaporated because of his heat uh and then the third task is the third uh, task actually given or is it where like the tear it's just a fucking feather. It's just like a oh, feather. A feather. Okay. Uh, uh, the, uh, I only know that it's a feather because you guys are saying it. I have completely forgotten the third task. It's <laughs> a feather that floats in the sky, and like the catch is he can't fly to get it. That's you know, right. Because it, there's a catch, which you look like uh, to get the crown, he can't have the help from the bear, right? Right. I so love there's that all the, these. That, like somebody wrote this and then remembered that bats can fly. Like, <laughs> and they're like, "How do we make this interesting?" We don't. It just happens. And then he just climbs I, and gets it. There's not even like tension. That's why I forgot. I had, I like had to re. I had to rewind and wa- like I was like watching the movie, and then I like, messaged or something, and then like he had the feather. I'm like, "Wait, <laughs> how do you get it?" It's like when the DM remembers that one of his players wanted to play an Aarakocra. First of all, uh, fuck that. For people. For Power game and bullshit. Layman, it's a it's a bird person. Bird with person. with flight, he can fly. He yeah. can fly level one. It's kind of bullshit. Level one. That's some, um, some fucking horseshit. Yeah. So what is the catch? She puts it all in the soup, and Bartok doesn't like that. He doesn't like that it's all in a witch's brew. He doesn't get witches. I thought for like five minutes, like like the potion was gonna be like why Bartok's like three hundred years old, but no, that doesn't fucking happen either. I thought it was I gonna still be. I don't think he is. I think this is Bartok's uh, uh, ancestor. Death and rebirth. Yeah, it's the same. Like it's a cycle. It's a cycle spots of spots on his head every time. I thought it was gonna be like Michael Jordan's secret stuff in Space Jam, and it was just like slop. <laughs> So scalding metal. They they he brings his potion back. But we'll turn you into a horny dragon. To Ludmilla. The who, the thing was was it was supposed to like bring like what was inside of you make you like what was yeah, it? it was couch. It will make you like as you are on the outside. Your inside is your outside. Your inside is your outside. So your times. Soul. I think there's like a there's a magnification order. Yeah, like 10 yeah, yeah. yeah. And so she's a dragon on the inside. Yeah, she she gulps that down. So she is a Targaryen. That confirms Targaryen ancestry. Yeah. And then in dragon form, she starts uh, just destroying Moscow. Uh, The one slapping some dudes. The one villager who is worried about the the buildings burning down, asking for water. Metaphor. And sorry, Doug. You were almost there. Oh, I know it's towards the end here. <laughs> the uh, water comes out. Yeah, water does come out. <laughs> so, but Wizard of Oz reference by the witch, as she says, Bartok magnificent. Um, Ivan was in a tower the whole time. He was in a water right, tower. Yeah, yeah, he was in a spiky cage. He was yeah, trapped in a big cage. metal ball. And that's when we find out that the, the big twist is he was in a room. Bartok didn't check. Zosie rescues them dressed as a, a voluptuous woman reciting mm-hmm. Henry V Which as he climbs up the wall of a tower. I don't Very cool. why he's dressed up as a woman. Uh, it just he just wanted funny. to. He it's just fun. wanted okay. to. Because he's a genie type character, except without any of the love or creativity of the genie in Aladdin. 
right? He can put on different costumes. It's a fucking thing. Who cares? And then what's the end? There's they more. Just, yeah, what happens at the end? They just fly. The they just fly away, right? Like that's it. Oh yeah. Uh, well, Baba Yaga flies off in the giant mortar and pestle. Which is that really? That's canon? canonical. Yeah, that, that is, is canon. That's wow. canon. Yep. That is canon. It's cool. I knew the chicken hut was. I didn't know the giant yep. mortar and pestle. Mortar and pestle, man. What kind of hag is Baba Yaga? Anis is Anis hag, right? They have uh, iron. We should be an Anis hag, or we should be. Uh, I think so. Not a well, green hag, we, right? Well, no, what what kind of hag, hag do you think Baba Yaga is? <clears throat> oh, we're like so far out of the depth of words that I understand now. I what are like- the types of hag? Uh, is this a D&D a podcast? There's a night hag. Now it is, yeah. There's a sea hag, anise hag, hag, green hag, frost hag, or white witch. Uh, well, what's the fr- the frost hag has a name, though. It's like... Uh, uh, I see. I was thinking it should be like a frost hag. I, Let me I get the forgotten thought, I just guessed you. frosted like, a, like the cereal, but sweet. Or like Usually, usually like the frost hag has Baba Yaga type well, all of them have Baba Yaga type archetypes. Right. Is there I mean, like a like a medicine hag? Like in Curse <laughs> of Strahd, there is a Baba Yaga knockoff that lives in a chicken right. leg hut. Oh, uh, that's right. Baba Yaga is just a character in Pathfinder. Yeah, <laughs> just Baba Yaga. I mean, um, I feel like collectively sure. before this, uh, like- before we started this call, we all collectively agreed that the plot of Bartok the Magnificent is just like a very poorly slapped together very bad D&D can like very like the one i'm in now it's, um, it's a <laughs> yeah